Chapter Seventeen of Eldorado by Baroness Orzy. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in July two thousand and seven. Chapter Seventeen. Chauvelin. Chauvelin. The presence of this man here at this moment made the events of the past few days seem more absolutely like a dream. Chauvelin, the most deadly enemy he, Armand, and his sister Marguerite had in the world. Chauvelin, the evil genius that presided over the secret service of the Republic. Chauvelin, the aristocrat turned revolutionary, the diplomat turned spy, the baffled enemy of the Scarlet Pimpernel. He stood there, vaguely outlined in the gloom by the feeble rays of an oil-lamp, fixed into the wall just above. The moisture on his sable clothes glistened in the flickering light like a thin veil of crystal. It clung to the rim of his hat, to the folds of his cloak. The ruffles at his throat and wrist hung limp and soiled. He had released Armand's arm, and held his hands now underneath his cloak. His pale, deep-set eyes rested gravely on the younger man's face. "'I had an idea, somehow,' continued Chauvelin calmly, "'that you and I would meet during your sojourn in Paris.' I heard from my friend Heron that you had been in the city. He, unfortunately, lost your track almost as soon as he had found it, and I, too, had begun to fear that our mutual and ever enigmatical friend, the Scarlet Pimpernel, had spirited you away, which would have been a great disappointment to me. Now he once more took hold of Armand by the elbow, but quite gently, more like a comrade who is glad to have met another, and is preparing to enjoy a pleasant conversation for a while. He led the way back to the gate the sentinel saluting at sight of the tricolour scarf which was visible underneath his cloak. Under the stone rampart Chauvelin paused. It was quiet and private here. The group of soldiers stood at the further end of the archway, but they were out of hearing, and their forms were only vaguely discernible in the surrounding darkness. Armand had followed his enemy mechanically, like one bewitched and irresponsible for his actions. When Chauvelin paused, he too stood still, not because of the grip on his arm, but because of that curious numbing of his will. Vague, confused thoughts were floating through his brain, the most dominant one among them being that fate had effectually ordained everything for the best. Here was Chauvelin, a man who hated him, who, of course, would wish to see him dead. Well, surely it must be an easier matter now to barter his own life for that of Jeanne. She had only been arrested on suspicion of harbouring him, who was a known traitor to the Republic. Then, with his capture and speedy death, her supposed guilt would, he hoped, be forgiven. These people could have no ill-will against her, and actors and actresses were always leniently dealt with when possible. Then surely, surely he could serve Jeanne best by his own arrest and condemnation than by working to rescue her from prison. In the meanwhile Chauvelin shook the damp from off his cloak, talking all the while in his own peculiar, gently ironical manner. "'Lady Blakeney,' he was saying, "'I hope that she is well.' "'I thank you, sir,' murmured Armand, mechanically. "'And my dear friend, Sir Percy Blakeney. I had hoped to meet him in Paris. Ah, but no doubt he has been very busy. But I live in hopes. I live in hopes. See how kindly chance has treated me,' he continued, in the same bland and mocking tones. "'I was taking a stroll in these parts, scarce hoping to meet a friend, when, passing the postern-gate of this charming hostelry, whom should I see but my amiable friend Saint-Just, striving to gain admission?' But, la, here am I talking of myself, and I am not reassured as to your state of health. You felt faint just now, did you not? The air about this building is very dank and close. I hope you feel better now. Command me, pray, if I can be of service to you in any way. Whilst Chauvelin talked, he had drawn Armand after him into the lodge of the concierge. 
The young man now made a great effort to pull himself vigorously together and to steady his nerves. He had his wish. He was inside the temple prison now, not far from Jeanne, and though his enemy was older and less vigorous than himself, and the door of the concierge's lodge stood wide open, he knew that he was indeed as effectually a prisoner already as if the door of one of the numerous cells in this gigantic building had been bolted and barred upon him. This knowledge helped him to recover his complete presence of mind. No thought of fighting or trying to escape his fate entered his head for a moment. It had been useless, probably, and undoubtedly it was better so. If he could only see Jeanne, and assure himself that she would be safe in consequence of his own arrest, then, indeed, life could hold no greater happiness for him. Above all, now, he wanted to be cool and calculating, to curb the excitement which the Latin blood in him called forth at every mention of the loved one's name. He tried to think of Percy, of his calmness, his easy banter with an enemy. He resolved to act as Percy would act under these circumstances. Firstly he steadied his voice, and drew his well-knit, slim figure upright. He called to mind all his friends in England, with their rigid manners, their impassiveness in the face of trying situations. There was Lord Tony, for instance, always ready with some boyish joke, with boyish impertinence always hovering on his tongue. Armand tried to emulate Lord Tony's manner, and to borrow something of Percy's calm impudence. "'Citizen Chauvelin,' he said, as soon as he felt quite sure of the steadiness of his voice and the calmness of his manner, "'I wonder if you are quite certain that that light grip which you have on my arm is sufficient to keep me here walking quietly by your side, instead of knocking you down, as I certainly feel inclined to do, for I am a younger, more vigorous man than you.' "'Hm,' said Chauvelin, who made pretence to ponder over this difficult problem. "'Like you, citizen Saint-Just, I wonder. It could be easily done, you know.' "'Fairly easily,' rejoined the other. "'But there is the guard. It is numerous and strong in this building, and the gloom would help me.' It is dark in the corridors, and a desperate man takes risks, remember. Quite so. And you, citizen Saint-Just, are a desperate man just now. My sister Marguerite is not here, citizen Chauvelin. You cannot barter my life for that of your enemy. No, 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 rejoined Chauvelin blandly. Not for that of my enemy, I know, but— Armand caught at his words like a drowning man at a reed. For hers, he exclaimed. For hers? queried the other, with obvious puzzlement. "'Mademoiselle Lange,' continued Armand, with all the egoistic ardour of the lover who believes that the attention of the entire world is concentrated upon his beloved. "'Mademoiselle Lange, you will set her free, now that I am in your power.' Chauvelin smiled, his usual suave, enigmatical smile. "'Ah, yes,' he said. "'Mademoiselle Lange, I had forgotten.' "'Forgotten, man?' "'Forgotten that those murderous dogs have arrested her? "'The best, the purest, this vile, degraded country has ever produced? "'She sheltered me one day just for an hour. "'I am a traitor to the Republic. I own it. "'I'll make full confession. "'But she knew nothing of this. I deceived her. "'She is quite innocent, you understand? "'I'll make full confession, but you must set her free.' "'He had gradually worked himself up again to a state of feverish excitement.' Through the darkness which hung about in this small room, he tried to peer into Chauvelin's impassive face. "'Easy, easy, my young friend,' said the other placidly. "'You seem to imagine that I have something to do with the arrest of the lady in whom you take so deep an interest. You forget that now I am but a discredited servant of the Republic, whom I fail to serve in her need. My life is only granted me out of pity for my efforts, which were genuine, if not successful. I have no power to set any one free.' "'Nor to arrest me now, in that case,' retorted Armand. 
Chauvelin paused a moment before he replied with a deprecating smile. "'Only to denounce you, perhaps. I am still an agent of the Committee of General Security.' "'Then all is for the best!' exclaimed Saint-Just eagerly. "'You shall denounce me to the Committee.' They will be glad of my arrest, I assure you. I have been a marked man for some time. I had intended to evade arrest, and to work for the rescue of Mademoiselle Lange, but I will give up all thought of that. I will deliver myself into your hands absolutely. Nay, more, I will give you my most solemn word of honour, that not only will I make no attempt at escape, but that I will not allow any one to help me to do so. I will be a passive and willing prisoner, if you, on the other hand, will effect Mademoiselle Lange's release. Hmm mused Chauvelin again. "'It sounds feasible.' "'It does, it does,' rejoined Armand, whose excitement was at fever-pitch. "'My arrest, my condemnation, my death, will be of vast deal more importance to you than that of a young and innocent girl, against whom unlikely charges would have to be tricked up, and whose acquittal may have public feeling might demand. As for me, I shall be an easy prey. My known counter-revolutionary principles, my sister's marriage with a foreigner—' "'Your connection with the Scarlet Pimpernel?' suggested Chauvelin blandly. "'Quite so. I should not defend myself. And your enigmatical friend would not attempt your rescue?' "'C'est entendu,' said Chauvelin, with his wonted blandness. "'Then, my dear enthusiastic young friend, shall we adjourn to the office of my colleague, Citizen Heron, who is chief agent of the Committee of General Security, and will receive your—did you say—confession?' and note the conditions under which you place yourself absolutely in the hands of the public prosecutor, and subsequently of the executioner. Is that it?" Armand was too full of schemes, too full of thoughts of Jeanne to note the tone of quiet irony with which Chauvelin had been speaking all along. With the unreasoning egoism of youth, he was quite convinced that his own arrest, his own affairs, were as important to this entire nation in revolution as they were to himself. At moments like these it is difficult to envisage a desperate situation clearly, and to a young man in love the fate of the beloved never seems desperate whilst he himself is alive and ready for every sacrifice for her sake. My life for hers is the sublime, if often foolish, battle-cry that has so often resulted in wholesale destruction. Armand, at this moment, when he fondly believed that he was making a bargain with the most astute, most unscrupulous spy this revolutionary government had in its pay, Armand just then, had absolutely forgotten his chief, his friends, the League of Mercy and Help to which he belonged. Enthusiasm and the spirit of self-sacrifice were carrying him away. He watched his enemy with glowing eyes, as one who looks on the arbiter of his fate. Chauvelin, without another word, beckoned to him to follow. He led the way out of the lodge, then, turning sharply to his left, he reached the wide quadrangle with the covered passage running right round it, the same which de Batz had traversed two evenings ago, when he went to visit Heron. Armand, with a light heart and a springy step, followed him as if he were going to a feast, where he would meet Jeanne, where he would kneel at her feet, kiss her hands, and lead her triumphantly to freedom and to happiness. End of chapter 17